and ho ho ho! Now I have a machine gun. That's right. I'm gonna be ta- we're gonna be talking about Die Hard, and this is actually my favorite ultimate uh, Christmas movie. And I actually have someone here that's that I really do appreciate a lot. He's been on my show a lot, and that is William from Conversations About Dot Dot Dot. And so we're gonna be talking about Die Hard. So let's do this. Hey, William, how are you? I'm doing all right. I guess I am the uh, Carl Winslow to your Bruce Willis today. Yes, you are. You yeah. very are. Matter of uh, fact, I just call them Carl. That's what he's called. <laughs> right, exactly. He just got transferred from uh, Chicago <laughs> over into Los Angeles. That's all he it was is. Like, he was like, look, man, I can't be doing this crazy stuff no more, man. I got to come over <laughs> here and do something a little bit calmer, cooler, <laughs> and raise a family. You know, that's exactly. that way. Because family matters. And family does matter. And matter of fact, <laughs> speaking of family, Bruce Willis is actually going to be going to see his wife in this movie. Yeah. And he goes and sees it. He's actually on an airplane. He's excited a bit about seeing his wife because he hasn't seen her in a while. Then he winds up running into this passenger on this airplane. And they start talking about the passenger on the plane starts talking about how he wants to sneak past uh, TSA and about all that other stuff. And he goes, I've been doing it for five years. It'll be OK. I'm used right. to it. Then all of a sudden he sees Bruce Willis's gun and he goes, I've been doing it for 11 years, being a police officer for 11 years. I think it'll be all right. But yeah, I definitely like that. And it actually sets up for the movie and the tone that we're going to be getting. And then of course, you know, we wind up seeing him get picked up by Argyle. And then after that, there's that back and forth of, Oh, what are you doing in Los Angeles? What what's going on? And he's like, Oh, I'm here to see my wife. And he goes, oh, so you winded up living in New York and you winded up in Los Angeles and she winded up in Los Angeles, hoping that she would return to you if her career winded up failing. So in the opening act of this, what did you think of the opening? You know, one of the things that set up was this idea that you were dealing with two kind of lonely, broken people and who one felt like it was going to come back around to him to him at some point, really care for him. The other at the time, as we find out later, she was kind of trying to move on in a way. She had kind of tried to figure out a way to move beyond him a bit. And that classic scene where he's, you know, asking her who's in the closet, you know, and everything. Right. You know, so it's pretty interesting. And then it, I thought it was actually a pretty good opening. And of course, you know, when he gets over into the building, he winds up finding out that she's not using. Uh, McLean, she's actually using Gennaro. And name, right? Right. Because you got to be kidding me. Holly's using her maiden name and not her married name. That was something new that he was not expecting. And of course, the kids are actually excited because of the fact that John's going to be coming home because Holly's actually on the phone with them, talking to them. And that's when she's like, well, we'll be home in a uh, home in a bit after our uh, Christmas party. So. Then we wind up seeing Alice. We wind up seeing him talk, doing some cocaine in the office, of course. This movie is very, I have to say, it's very atmospheric when it comes down to office Christmas parties. You know, here's the thing that's funny, too, about that office Christmas party. You had the pervy Santa that was being all Mm touchy-feely. You had the people running around dancing. You had people trying to get people to drink and all this crazy stuff. I'm just like, man, my mom was like, I'm glad I never worked in corporate America. You know, because I had to be through that and everything. And 
Then, of course, there's a whole contingent she's looking at trying to figure out, you know, where all the brothers and sisters are in the course of the movie. I'm like, well, there's the cop, man. Like, he's the good dude. Like, he's the guy that kind of, he's the guy that really kind of helps John shift focus, if you will, between kind of that, you know, roguish idea and the idea you got somebody that's got your back. Don't mess that up. You know, exactly. he starts talking to him later about the relationship between him and his wife, and he's just breaking it down. He's just like, look, man, you got to give a little bit, you know? I'm just like, right, you have to give a little right. bit in order for you to receive, and John didn't want to do any type of giving. It was all about him and his career, and not about Holly's career and what she wanted. And, you know, you want that, then you wonder, okay, so this is why their relationships is actually on the rocks is because of all the stuff that McLean has been doing. Yeah. He's a good, he's a good cop, but he's also a sucky husband. Yeah. So, you know, and, and no wonder why this guy hasn't been doing that great of a job uh, off the force. You know what I'm saying? With his wife. Yeah. It's kind of that whole idea of if you do a bunch of things, kind of okay, but you don't do a few things. Well, you can end up messing up all of the stuff that you're doing. It's like, okay, that's that focus of, okay, I know I'm trying to be a good cop, but man, I really could be a better father to these kids. I really could be a better husband to my wife, you know? Exactly. And, you know, with him, I think part of him wanting to go to that Christmas party was maybe to repair some of the damage that he's done. Because you can actually see how bummed out he was about her not having his last name. He was thinking, okay, maybe this is a way to actually repair this marriage that I destroyed and maybe yeah. it might actually work in my favor where I might be able to transfer over to be an LAPD police officer. And I can be here with her and be here with kids. Right. So, I mean, I think that that was actually a good way of actually setting up his character of like, Oh, I'm want to be redeemed and redeem myself for everything that I've done in my marriage. And then you find get kicked in the balls because of the fact that it's a little too late. To repair the damage that you've done, she's ready to move on. She's got her career. She's doing great in Nakatomi Plaza. She's got everything lined up. She's, if, I'm sorry, but if you wind up having somebody uh, to send out a limo for you, you're making bank. You're making money. You know. And then came Hans Gruber <laughs> and messed the whole thing up. <laughs> Way up. And. What did you th- uh, here's the thing. I hated Ellis. Ellis is probably one of my the worst characters in this movie when it came down to snobbiness and him being high on cocaine and things like that, thinking that he can actually negotiate with Hans as well. Right. And, that, and the thing about it is it's really interesting, too, because in this group of thieves, you know, it truly was no honor amongst them because they were, it kind of felt like if you, if you, if for those of you who know the old Transformers cartoon, it kind of had that Starscream Megatron mechanic of, you know, I'm the leader. And it's like, well, I'm the guy who can take over as the leader if this guy fails. You know, so there was a whole lot of mistrust within themselves, but they had an ulterior plan to get all the money out of thing and everything and rob the rob the whole tower blind basically exactly and then you wind up having this other thing play, being played out too where you know uh basically grober is posing as a terrorist to steal the 640 million dollars in the touchable barrel bonds and the building's vault and then of course he winds up killing the executive joseph uh taikaji after failing to extract the access codes from him 
right. attacks Theo with breaking into the vault. And Theo's supposed to be this top-notch hacker. And he's even telling me, look, dude, this is actually a harder job than what I thought it was going to be. Right. Like, then he would challenge him and say, basically, like, you didn't pay me for this. Right. You know, he's in spam enough for doing what he had to do. enough to do with this. Like, dude, I gotta, if I gotta crack the code, that's a whole other thing. Right. Like, this so, is turning yeah. like into an Ocean Eleven mission, basically, with the way things are set up in this Nakatomi building. And at the same time, you're supposed to be holding these hostages. So, how is he gonna hack something with these people being held at gunpoint when everything can go disarray at any time in any moment? Well, and, and the thing that went disarray, of course, was John McClane was, uh, what, in the bathroom originally? And then yeah. I think he ended up going up into the deal because he started hearing the shooting. Right. He, he was in the bathroom. Figure out where he was and get bearings on where he's supposed to be. And it's, just a, it's pretty smart if you think about it. Because if you take yourself out of the equation to where people can't, because nobody would have known to look for him. Because technically, he really wasn't even supposed to be there. He's not and even so, on the list. Yeah, he wasn't even on the list. And so it's just like he's this random person. And it wasn't until even Hans Gruber sitting there like, you know, wait a minute. Who else was here? Because the person, none of these people here would be doing this. And so that I think, doesn't he, doesn't he see like a picture of John on the wife's desk or something? Yeah, that's like later on, though. At, okay. Of course, it's just like this whole entire mystery element to Hans. He's like, who is doing all this stuff? Who's taking down my men? And... What's going on here? Because at first he doesn't know that that John's even talking to a police officer or anything. He's just thinking that this is one random guy taking down one of his um, men. And at first he thinks that he's just John's just playing with them. But he winds up saying, look, I just took down one of your men. He goes, and then remember when Hans says, look, go upstairs, find out on the 33rd floor, I believe, and check and see, um, see if he's actually telling the truth or not. Because I think yeah. he's full of BS. And then, of course, that's when you wind up seeing him tie that other guy up. And, of course, he also has the guy's shoes because he's barefooted. Right, right. And and he goes, I can't believe I'm actually trying to steal from someone's feet that are smaller than mine. <laughs> and <laughs> Right. And, and then that's whenever he ties him up, puts the Santa Claus hat on him, and then puts him in the elevator. And then that's when, of course, when we get the ho, 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 I have a machine gun. Yeah. Oh, I have a machine gun. So I love that line. I thought that was actually funny to actually bring out into something that's totally dark in this situation, especially when this one woman just looks over to the elevator when the elevator door is open. She's just screaming her head off. And then you have that little element of comedy, dark comedy into this thing where Hans is over there. He's very stiff. You can definitely tell that he takes his job serious. Just ho, ho, ho. Now yeah. I have a machine gun. <laughs> Did you ever see the documentary behind Die Hard, the, uh, the films, the movies that made us? Yeah, I have. And I love one of the things they talked about behind the scenes of that was the whole idea that, like, Bruce Willis almost didn't get that part. Like, Moonlighting wasn't even really blowing up like that. Like, Moonlighting, that was the thing he was known for, if I remember beforehand, was this TV series. That was already on the decline because him and Sybil Shepherd and the show had gotten together. So the whole will they won't they thing had kind of killed. And so then it was just this whole thing of a downward spiral because that's what typically happened with TV shows. Once a, once a couple gets together, ratings start going up because then you have nothing else to build on. And uh, 
But anyway, so it was such a fight to get him in there. And I think what they they were like, well, that the guy that did like Hudson Hawk, you know, stuff like that. It's like, surely this guy can't do it. And it was like they went through several different people and they kept just coming back to this guy who looked like a normal Joe Schmo cop that could go in there and be tough, but be I think the one thing that they used was be tough, but at the same time still be caring about this woman that that he knew the relationship was kind of burned, but he still was willing to try to repair it. So that's the thing that made a difference in why they got Bruce Willis in that role. I think so, too. It humanizes the character. Not only does it humanize the character, but it's easy for him to blend in. I believe if they got like Stallone or Arnold to do this role, for example, if they ever did that, I think that it would actually be too much to where he doesn't look like an average person. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just imagine it's like, hey, Hans Gruber, I got the machine gun. <laughs> Hey, you know, uh, I could just see hey. Hey, hey, no. hey, I got a machine gun over here. What do you want from me? Tell you, best situation all the way around. You don't want it. Is that I win this time? I'm coming for you. You and I are gonna fight and we're shooting everybody. It's not hard, hard how hard you can hit. But get to the chopper now. Right, <laughs> the chopper. But no. Uh, but here's the thing: I, if it was anybody on that kind of scale, they, it wouldn't have. He wouldn't have been blended in that well. He wouldn't have been just an average cop, and Hans right. would be able to pick him out right away. With him just being an average person, an average mo, you know, I, I, I think it actually works in Bruce Willis's favor, and I'm glad they actually chose Bruce for this role, and. You know, the other thing that I really liked was, okay, you know Hans means business, but you don't know exactly what he's after until you get the guy who is basically Hans is holding the dude hostage, goes up to the office. And then he goes, well, you're just going to have to kill me for those codes. Then all of a sudden, he winds up just shooting the guy point blank range and just kills him in front of everybody and that sends a message to us as the audience is like okay this guy's on a whole different scale on what we're used to seeing because right. usually the killer the person who holds somebody hostage wants something they're going to keep that person alive Hans is like well you know what I have a hacker who can go on ahead and hack into your system so therefore I don't really need you anyways either I'll do this forcefully ask you or I do this forcefully so that's what he had to do. And then also, too, it also sends a message to uh, John McClane. It's like, oh, I'm dealing with a whole different breed mm-hmm. of terrorism here. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that's important, too. But also, like, wasn't Reginald Vell Johnson's character supposed to – What didn't he do the old trope of he was, like, days away from retiring from the force? He was just going to yeah. kind of enjoy life or whatever with his family, and then this happens. And so it's just like you're just sitting there going, he went from almost being done with everything to now being in, involved with this dude who is pretty much all his own. And it's like, he could have just walked away. But the thing about him as a character that was interesting was he didn't. You know, it's kind of the whole idea of he was a good man in the midst of a crazy situation. It definitely is a crazy situation when you look at it because of the fact that he's just there for a Christmas party and then his life his wife is being held hostage. Now he has to try and save Holly and try and get these hostages into a safe place. 
Otherwise, it could wind up being bad for everybody. And, you know, I like how he's going through different areas of that Nakatomi building and taking out different guys. I really love that where you have that construction area up on the very top of the thing where the construction site is. And he winds up killing this one dude up on the table. And I, I really, I really love the stunt works in this. The whole entire exposition of the stunts was really good. The action sequences were not shaky or anything. You can be able to see everything. I really loved it. Yeah, and then the fact you think about you mentioned something earlier too about Hans's plan. Hans's plan ultimately was okay. We're gonna blow the tower to make it look like we're gonna kill the hostages. We're gonna make it look like we all died in the building while they got away. And so John's like, I can't just leave these people and try to get Holly out. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get everybody out of here. Whether right. me and Holly are good afterwards or not, I gotta get out. We, we gotta get these people out of here because I can't let these people die. You know exactly, and that's where the right, and that's where, of course, you get that whole entire police side of him, and no longer just caring about his wife. Now he's caring about others in this situation and wanting to get them out. And then of course he winds up calling 911 and 911 is like, sir, this is for emergencies only because, and I forgot what was the line that he winds up telling her because it was this funny line that he winds up. Says something about, I don't know what's more, more of an emergency than a bunch of people get the hostages in a building, trying to blow a building up or something. Well, he, no, he also says, what does it look like I'm doing lady having a party? <laughs> and he goes, Look, I'm telling you, there's a hostage situation going on over here. You need to go on ahead and bring some of your guys over here because it's about to go down. And they're like, look, sir, if this is an emergency, you need to call 911. Next thing you know, you hear a machine gun go off because they're about to shoot him. And then that's all of a sudden they're like, okay, we got to send somebody down there. So they're going to send down a beat cop after hearing gunshots. You're going to send a beat cop down. Yeah. Which, I mean, Reginald Bell Johnson, you know, he, he had a very stereotypical body shape at that time mm-hmm. of the beat cop who just ate donuts and was just kind of showed up. But, you know, it's like, like I said, he had a lot of heart to him, too. So I'm glad that's who he got. Because had he got some cop that just didn't care, he would have gone in, drove around the block and then just left. Which almost happened, though, in a way, but also, too. First, John winds up calling 911, and then that's when, you know, they call in the because remember, he pulls the fire alarm Mm -hmm. and then the police winds up turning back around after turning it, uh, turning in that 911 code, the code for the fire department. That didn't work. So then calling up, then after that, he calls up uh, the on the two way, that other uh, extension. And that's whenever they, they send in the beat cop and. You know, I like the fact that they sent in someone that's charismatic because if it was just a police captain himself, those people would die like less than five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. He was such a ball bag. Like he, he's like, how do you know you can trust him? What makes you think you can trust this guy? This guy could actually be one of the guys that he's work uh, that's working for that. He could be fooling you this whole time. I'm like, dude, you do realize that if that was true. He, he wouldn't have time to be talking to your police officer. He'd be holding this hostages in exactly. place. 
Well, and also, if I remember correctly, wasn't that the guy that was kind of cheating? Was that the guy that he had, she had kind of started the relationship with? Anyway, it was kind of saying all this stuff derogatory about John and all this stuff, and I think she basically said that's not who he is. He wouldn't do that type of thing. That I think, yeah, I think you're talking about Alice, right? Yeah, his wife. Yeah, Holly, his wife. Yeah, isn't it, Alice, the guy that, isn't it the guy that's kind of with her at the beginning of the movie or whatever, basically negging the guy the whole time? He's just sitting there basically saying, look, John McClane, we can't trust this dude. There's no way we can trust him. Yeah, there's no way we can trust him. Basically, he's wanting to send Hans out um, out, out for lunch, basically. He's like, look, they're holding us hostage, so I'm going to BS this and try to get to talk to him because I can, I'm good at negotiating deals, so therefore I can probably negotiate with a terrorist. I'm like, you're a dumbass. <laughs> That's what I said out loud to my wife. I said, he's such a dumbass. And he goes, hey, John, buddy, hey, look, man, look, um, why don't you just give up the act? We've been we've been through a lot together over the years. And just give yourself up, man. And so that way we can all just go home and they can have whatever they want. And then that's when John goes, I don't even, and he goes, put Hans back on. He goes, I don't even know this guy. Yeah. Or anything. I just met him at the party. I don't know yeah. this guy from Adam. Next thing you know, it Hans winds up killing him. But also, too, he winds up telling Ellis, if you do not stop this, Hans is going to kill you. Right. Stop trying to think that you can negotiate with this guy because you cannot negotiate with Hans. Oh, by the way, I just want to mention your your Brandy Boo. Uh, said hello and also this is definitely a christmas movie it definitely is a christmas movie which i mean it's like if somebody asked me one day said why would you think that die hard is a christmas movie i said okay well let's think about it what are the three basic premises of a christmas movie santa claus at some point is in the film which he is not the greatest representation of santa claus but he's there (laughs) secondly at some point there's a christmas party christmas festivities or something like that happens and you also have a Christmas tree. There's a Christmas tree involved. Hence, Christmas movie. Also, too, you have John who's coming in on Christmas Eve to spend time with his wife at a Christmas party. Exactly. It's a Christmas movie. Christmas movie. Don't, no further argument. Exactly. It's a Christmas movie. See, I, I wish I more. Mean, I wish I, we, you and I can agree. I'm, I wish there was more people that can agree with us. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's like okay. Somebody said, "Well, what when you get into Hawkeye?" It's like it's a Christmas TV series because mm-hmm. the whole it's okay. Hawkeye is die hard with bigger budget and Marvel superheroes, right? You take Hawkeye, you take die hard. It's the same concept, minus the profanity and minus the blood and guts. And just put uh, funny, wacky arrows uh, with Hawkeye. And that's yeah. it. Arrows. That's what you get. There you go. But uh, then, let's see. There's also something else that winds up happening, too, as well. Goober attempts to shoot McClane, but finds a weapon is unloaded and saved only by an invitation, uh, intervention of other terrorists. Now, here's the thing. Hans tries to act like he's actually a hostage that's escaped from Hans. Uh And he goes up to McLean and you can tell that he's trying to change his accent to where it's more of the fact that you don't know who I am. And of course they don't know each other because all the interactions that they have is just over Over the the two way. Right. 
So therefore, he doesn't know who he what he looks like, but he knows what he sounds like. So Hans is like, you know what? I think I'm going to try and get him. So he winds up disguising his voice like an American. And you can tell once he winds up giving Hans the gun, when John gives him the gun, he winds up slipping out of that accent, the regular American accent, and back into his Hans accent. Yep, because he feels like he has the upper hand. Right. And then John is like, okay, so what's your name? And he winds up looking at the board. He goes, Clay. My name is Clay. Okay, Clay. Nice to meet you. And uh, he goes, do you know how to shoot one of these? He goes, yeah, I actually shoot some over, you know, some paint, some paintball. He goes, well, this is the real thing, man. Here you go. Gives him the gun. And I don't know why Hans also thought that he could lure him into that little breezeway where his gun is so we can shoot him. He's a cop. Right. So Hans at that time knew that John was a cop. So why are you going to try and lure him in? He's not going to fall for it. He thinks that you're a hostage. So he's not going to make you go that in the direction that you want him to go in. He's right. going to make you go in the direction that where's safety. So it didn't make sense for Hans to actually have that gun in that place. That was a slip up on Hans's part, not thinking at the fact that he's actually a cop. Well, and also hubris plays a long game sometimes. In thinking that they have that they are ultimately the master of the whole thing, not realizing John was already on to who he was. So, I mean, hence why the gun wasn't loaded when the time came, you know. So he was already aware, more than likely, of what was going on. He's very self-aware. Um, then you know, you after that ends up happening, you have also two, you have the FBI that's actually being taken care taken charge of the situation now because of everything all, everything that's going all hell in this hand, hands back basket basically uh and then you wind up seeing uh, John winds up asking and goes hey what's going on out there why is the FBI coming in here he goes well there's a lot of other stuff that's happening within this area now proximity to where we can't do anything yeah so now the FBI is coming to play ball, and the FBI is just a bigger douche than the police captain. Because at this point, they're just trying to figure out how to get it over with. They're not concerned about the actual negotiations. They're just trying to be like, look, we got to get these people out of this building. We got to do the thing we got to do. And even to the point where I think, were they going to like start shooting into it and stuff? Like, were they just going to start taking out everybody? Yeah, that's basically what it was. It was just like, look, let's go on ahead. Let's shoot all these people down. Don't, don't care about casualties. And then we'll call it a day. And it was one of those lines where they basically said, you know, well, we don't negotiate with terrorists. It's like, but they're they're people that aren't the terrorists that are in the building with them, you know. And it's in bystanders. Yeah, exactly. You do what you do what you're thinking is going to happen. You're just going to end up perpetuating what they were already planning to do. Right. It's like, oh, the FBI went on ahead and killed all the people that we that we were going to kill already. Okay. Well, I guess we'll Hans. Yeah. What? What's the? Where should, we, where should we do now? Well, you know what? We don't have a helicopter, so let's go in and get a helicopter since the FBI killed everybody. Right. Right. And then yeah, whenever yeah. they power off the building, they give the guys what they want. They give Hans's people what they want, mm-hmm. and they without even having to use the hacker. Right. Because that's the that's the thing about it. It's it's the thing about especially those old eighties movies like that. It's the idea of while it's 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 a pretty straightforward linear storytelling mm-hmm. plot. 
it's the whole idea of okay, well, it it, it pushes the hero to have to be that much more heroic because it's like okay, now we got these hostages, now we got Hans, now we got the FBI, now we got if we just steadily stack at the points up to where we're gonna hit this super crescendo at some point. Exactly, and then also too, we also have this other beef war because. John winds up killing Tony. Tony is actually his first first victim. We talked about Tony already, but he, Hans winds up telling Tony's brother that, "Hey, I'm going to let you take out uh, McLean since nobody else can." And you yeah. also have that beef war now, and that fight between the two of them was really good. I like the fight sequences between uh, Tony's brother and McLean. It was pretty brutal. It was. It was very brutal, and of course, he winds up hanging him up with some chains. Thing, and you know, but it's at, yeah. And at this point, the thing that's funny about that is, is that even though yeah, John won the fight, boy, he was struggling to win the war. He point. was. It was at that time where it's like you should see the other guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah, he's hanging over there. He's hanging out over there. Just hanging there. <laughs> Tony's Tony's brother's just hanging around. Yeah. But then you wind up seeing um some other stuff winds up happening to John. He winds up losing uh he winds up getting glass in his foot because of the whenever the when Hans's guys winds up shooting the glass, he winds yeah. up getting All and he cool. has to yeah, he winds up taking the glass out of his foot and at the same time he's talking to Carl and <laughs> And uh, he winds up telling him, hey, look, man, if I don't make it out of this thing alive or anything, tell my wife that I love her and I'm sorry that I've been such a douchebag to her. He goes, and he goes, man, what are you talking about? He goes, you're going to make it through this thing. I'm like, I thought to myself, as he's taking off the glass, I'm like, so you're going to tell me after everything you've went through, taking glass out of your foot is going to be the main focus of you uh, giving up? And then John McClain got tetanus and ended up having to go to the hospital. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird ending to die hard. Like everybody's right. just sitting around him, and then and then here comes Hans with the gun. Like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> no one dies harder than John McClain. <laughs> but yeah. Um. Then let's see. We actually have Hans. He wants to actually have a helicopter, intending to send. Gunship helicopters to eliminate the group. McLean realizes Gumber pl- uh, Gruber's plans to blow up the roof to kill the hostages and fake his team's death because, in Hans's eyes, like you said, what if you can't? Uh, how can you arrest somebody if they're dead? If they're dead, or they thought to be, yeah, exactly. Right, and so of course he doesn't want to kill John because John also has the detonators as well because he's like, where's my detonator? And John is not giving up where the detonators are either, and that's another that's that winds up happening, and then you wind up having this whole entire thing where, you know, Gruber sees a news report by Richard Thornburg on McLean's children, and this is what you were talking about, and deduces that he he is Holly's husband. So it yeah. wasn't for that stupid news reporter. Oh, he would, but he he gets his later. Get yeah, him. Holly gets Holly gets gets her revenge on him. Because, on Mike Tyson on <laughs> I don't blame her though. She has every right to, and I'm all I'm all for it because 
You know, I believe that the news media tells you way too much information than what they need to tell you. And you put more people in danger by telling too much information. And she had every right to do that because if it wasn't for him, Hans would have known that there was a police officer named John McLean inside the building. He would not have known that Holly was actually, uh, Holly Gennaro was actually John McLean's wife. Right. Cause she's going after the maiden name. Yep. And so now he, the main focus is also now trying to get Holly out of her. That's an awesome situation because now that news reporter also put her out in the front lines now to where John has to save her because of yeah. it. Basically, he docks people before doxing was a thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he docks before doxing was cool. Right. <laughs> that's, that's what he did. But then, of course, uh, after a weary battered McLean finds Holly and Gruber and his remaining henchmen, McLean surrenders to Gruber and is about to sh- to be shot by grabs a concealed service pistol right taped to his back. Yep. Right there. I like how both of them are laughing at each other at, at this is going on because because John has that crazy look in his eye. Like he just got out of a mental institution institutionalized. And he's just laughing back and forth with them. And then he takes out one of Hans's henchmen. And then he kills Hans and makes him fall backwards out the window while also having Holly grabbing onto Holly. And Holly would have actually would have been uh, went backwards if it wasn't for John grabbing her in time. Right, right. No, and here's the funny thing, too, a little behind the scenes peek, uh, thanks to uh, the movies that made us. We're not sponsored, but if Netflix, if you want to sponsor <laughs> love to. John. John, sponsor John. Go sponsor him. Seriously. Anyway, uh, so they talk about this whole thing about the fact that when you get that scene from Alan Rickman where he's falling, that wasn't him acting. Because they were like, okay, we're going to count you down in five, four. And they didn't tell him that they were pulling the shoot on three. They told him they were pulling it on one. So, of course, he's waiting for the one they hit three they pop the thing out from under him and it's just him falling on this back of that ground green screen just and you see the terror that's on his face that was all real because he had no idea he was supposed to fall at that point and that's method of acting <laughs> but i i think that it actually worked though because it shows that fear of him dying and then whenever he dies i like how carl looks at his uh He's thinking, because I hope that's not a hostage. <laughs> well, <laughs> And then after that winds up happening, uh, Gruber crashes through a window, but grabs... Oh, okay. Then I also had that in my notes. Um, McLean unclaps the watch, and Gruber falls to his death. Outside, Carl ambushes McLean and Holly, but is shot dead by Powell. Holly punches... Thunberg when he attempts to interview McLean before Argyle crashes through the parking garage door in the limo and drives McLean and Holly away together. So the ultimate hero, Argyle. <laughs> I like how Argyle, like, the whole entire movie's in the parking garage the whole time talking but to his John girlfriend. Told him, John told him he was just like, stay here, don't go anywhere, I'll pay you extra, just stay here. He was after that two hundred extra hundred dollars. I can tell you that. Yep, I don't blame him. I don't blame him either. I wouldn't want that extra hundred dollars too. After all, he just went on ahead, banged into a van that uh, Hans was gonna uh, use, 
and he actually helped out with that situation. So yeah, he deserves a he he deserves a hundred dollar tip. Yeah, at least. So the hundred dollars plus a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and of course, like I said, like we said, you know, yeah, Holly hauls off and punches the reporter because now all of a sudden it's like I want to interview Mr. McLean. It's like it was your fault that they knew it was him and mine anyway. <laughs> and so you know, I, I, I'm sure you'll talk about Die Hard too, probably because I know they continue the story. Right there, we got several diehards. You know, back in the day before you had the Fast and the Furious twenty four, you know, coming out next fall. You know, you know, in Ultimate I'm definitely going to do. I'm definitely going to do Die Hard too because that's yeah. also considered a Christmas movie too. We need to just. That, you know what? That's what Fast and Furious needs. It needs a full blown Christmas version, Christmas movie. Well, right. they're already family. Will. <laughs> you, don't need no Chris, you don't need Christmas trees when you have family. They, they may not need Christmas trees when they have family, but you know what? Ben Diesel could have sick about some eggnog and sit there and be like, family. You know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you see Fast and the Furious 12, Christmas Day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, 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 no. Christmas Day, drive hard. <laughs> Fast and the Furious 17. Welcome to the family. It's Christmas time. time. Welcome to the family. <laughs> <laughs> and Bruce Willis. And Bruce Willis ends up being in the role somehow or another. He's just like, I'm too old for all this. He just walks out. <laughs> and Danny Glover just looks at him. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> it's like Danny Glover walks out. They get uh, they get Mr. Johnson back in. He's somehow involved at this point. He's working for the CIA now. They literally give him the same name from Die Hard. He's like a CIA operative. There's something I wanted to ask you though. Whenever it comes down to the uh, the to Tony's brother, now it, it's been years since I've seen the original Die Hard because I saw the very first one. That was just horrifying just to see that guy still alive and he still wanted to come after John. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And I mean, that that's, huh. I mean, it's some things are just really unsettling. Like I said, the fight between Tony's brother and that was just like, why? Like, it, and again, it kind of gives that boogeyman era too, because you don't, because it's nice to not necessarily know what to expect. Because you, sometimes the expectation is, okay, well, oh, we saw the body. Obviously he's dead. But wait a minute. What if he isn't? <laughs> Surprise. And so, yeah, it 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 made things really interesting in that regard. So definitely did. I, I love this movie. I watch, I try to watch this movie at least once a year because every single time when you watch this film, you pick up on something different too. Because there's stuff that you might forget. Matter of fact, uh, Bruce Willis didn't walk walk uh, barefoot through the whole entire movie either. Yeah, did he have like slips or something he would wear in between takes or something like that? Uh, to be honest with you, he was actually wearing uh, feet look larger than normal. This was due to him wearing special shoes molded by his own feet to give him a semi-authentic look. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, that um, kind of reminds me of the Jackie Chan. I think it was Rumble in the Bronx where he had uh, messed up his ankle really bad during a stunt. And so the cast that they made him because they told him he couldn't shouldn't shoot for three weeks, and he's just like, I'm not gonna not shoot for three weeks, that'll kill the movie. And so they made his cast 
and they painted it up in such a way where it looked like it slipped under the pants and it looked like the same sneakers that, that he had on. That way he wouldn't break the scene. That's that makes up. sense. They put a sneaker sock over the over the cast because he couldn't wear <laughs> shoes. Oh, there's also another thing that I, that there's a line that I like too. Um, where where he's inside the air conditioning duct, he goes, "Oh, come to the city, have a few laughs." <laughs>, <laughs> That's always one of my favorite things. Um, matter of fact, one of the most memorable moments in the film, featuring John McClane trying to make his way through the elevator shaft happening purely by accident. During the scene, the stuntman was supposed to leap from one shaft to the next, but when he tried, he totally missed the mark. The crew was so impressed by the look of the fall, decided to keep it in the final film. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Um, man, no. That leap, and that's one of those things, just the reality of like that jump off the building is one of the most iconic poster scenes that I've ever seen. Like a little big Iconic, you know, you you see documentaries on Bruce Willis and stuff like that. That's one of the first things you see on this is him jumping off the building, you know. That's what I like, though. That that scene is iconic, like you said, because of the fact that at that time the FBI was thinking that he was a, a terrorist. And he was over there spraying, uh, uh, basically with an AK-47, I believe, with an automatic weapon and just uh, aiming freely up in the sky trying to get the basically just trying to get the hostages to move back downstairs before Hans blew up the top of the helicopter pad. And then of course the FBI thinking that he's a terrorist and wants to shoot McLean. And then he winds up jumping over off of that one part of the building. Oh, I didn't know that the uh, iconic uh, phrase, yippee we ain't saying the rest of that on YouTube uh, <laughs> was inspired by uh, Roy Rogers. Yippie-ki-yay. I didn't know that either. yippee kids. and that was actually speaking of hippie kaye that was actually something that lightened up the crew during filming but he ad-libbed the line and would not only become part of the film it would also become part of of film history so behind the scenes he was actually using that line and then he decided to ad-lib it into it into that scene and it just works because it gives you that whole entire crazy thing. Because, and I like how Hans gets the actor, the actress um, name when he goes, "Oh, you're thinking you're just going to be like John Wayne carrying?" Uh, I forgot what the actress's name is. She goes, and he and John winds up uh, correcting him on that name, and he goes, "Hippie," Ka-, and Hans goes, "Hippie," Ka-ye. and and then they both start laughing. And I love that. I think it, the laughter was subtle. It was not forced. It was something that was actually, I'll be honest with you, it actually describes John's character to a T. Yeah. Well, when you think about, especially that era too, I mean, you, you, you Rambo was already such a big deal. And Arnold Schwarzenegger was just all over the place. It was really nice to see kind of your white collar action hero mm-hmm. that wasn't like the, John McClane, really, if you think about it, he wasn't a whole lot of the super weapons. and He was literally trying to make do with what he had access to. Like, he's the guy that if he beat somebody up, he'd beat the person up or whatever, they'd be out. He'd take their guns and take their bullets and count bullets. You know, this is in the day where Rambo would have machine guns with 9,000 bullets and just wouldn't care and just shoot everybody. You know, and Arnold Schwarzenegger would just tote, you know, gigantic, you know, 
Predator, you know, you just toting huge Gatlin guns off the helicopter, Jesse Ventura, and all this other stuff. You know, John McClane had to be very practical because he only had access to one gun with this many bullets. So whenever it came down to him trying to survive, he had to, you saw him grabbing other people's guns. And sometimes in movies, even today, I sit there and look at it, it's like, can we get back to the days when John McClane was being practical over here, trying to make sure he had weapons and stuff like that, make sure he had enough weapons to get through the fight first? Exactly. And that's what I liked about it, the fact that he's like very human-like. He's not like on the same type of scale as, you know, a Rambo or a Commando or anything like that. He's just an average dude just trying to spend time with his wife and trying to utilize what he has in front of him to take down these terrorist and that's what i like about this film it's just an average guy simple plot not thing over the top and it works and it works it works very well but okay so on rotten tomatoes do you want to know what the score that they gave gave it on rotten tomatoes hit me this is actually the highest thing that i've seen 94 percent on the tomato meter and then audience scores is at a 94 Hmm. that's fair Yes, that's very fair, considering the fact that Rotten Tomatoes is hit and miss. And the critics on here actually like it as well, whenever you look at it. That's what uh, one critic said, Nick uh, Schenger, the Daily Beast. He says, that's right, I'm saying it loudly and proudly. Since John McTyron's uh, 1988 action classic isn't just set at Christmas time, it embodies the very spirit of the holiday. It's a glory. It's a glorious scene, stellar for Alan Rickman, through its credit to Willis's uh, cheeky charisma that his scene is not, in fact, stolen, and that is by Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian. So you have a lot of good reviews right across the board when it comes down to the Rotten Tomatoes and things like that. So it's, this movie is very much loved. Yep. And, and that's all grown over years, of course, with the debates over the years. Of, is it a Christmas movie? Is it not a Christmas movie? We don't know. And I'm just like, it's kind of telling you it is a Christmas movie. Like, I have a mama here where I live, and like a couple of years ago, she went searching for Die Hard. Because apparently Die Hard's not one of those movies that just streams. You have to rent Die Hard during mm-hmm. Christmas time. It doesn't just stream on a normal thing. It's oh. like, Back in 2020, on HBO Max, they had all the Die Hard movies that you can stream. Mm. And then I had to rent this on YouTube, like you said. So that's very true. You have to rent this, rent the Die rent. Hard yep. movies. Yep. And, and it's like, it's to the point now where it's just like, yeah, unless you bought Die Hard or bought the box set or something like that. Yeah, good luck trying to go find it on a stream somewhere, anywhere that's not going to charge you for it every year all the year long like that's the thing and also guys and girls get physical media for your special loved ones for the holidays because as we've already seen in the land of digital media you can't always trust it (laughs) nope because after a while contracts runs out and those contracts are not negotiable so therefore they put it back in the vault or they go on ahead and negotiate with another streaming service therefore you have to sign up with another streaming service just to watch that one movie and really, do you really want to pay for another streaming service, which you're going to be paying just as much for when uh, for cable, when you can just go on ahead, rent, buy it on Blu-ray or something, or buy the box box set? Exactly, exactly. That's the thing. You know, you you gotta. You know, we're all in a world where we gotta save money where we can save it. 
So it's like if I could watch the movies I love and I could pop them on my Blu-ray player, my DVD player and watch them, why not just do that? I mean, there are plenty of free streaming services out there. I mean, Freebie just released a few months back. And basically, it's like Amazon Prime Lite. That's what I call it. I mean, but it works. It's free. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to get all the stuff that's on Amazon Prime, but I also don't have to pay the $12 a month for Amazon Prime. So, yay for that. But you know what, though, Will? I thought for sure that this would actually be on Disney Plus because of the fact that it's owned by Fox. And I Googled it. And then once I log into my account, even when Google brings up Die Hard, it winds up, once I log in, it's not there. It's not there in the library at all. At all. Nope. You're right. I'm like, well, this sucks. Yeah. I went the other day because we were at my at my mom's house. And we were just like looking. I'm sitting looking. It's like, what is everybody looking for? What are you looking for? I'm like, Die Hard. It's like, yeah, it's all for rental. And it's like, sure enough, it was. Amazon, YouTube. Uh, I think Apple TV had it for like just regular, like, Different thing. There were several rental options. There are all rentals, so nobody is streaming Die Hard in any way that we know of. And if they are, it's not going to be for a long period of time. No, they're going to shut that down. They're going to shut that operation down. Yeah. Um, but you know, all in all, this is a this is actually one of my favorite movies to watch during the holiday season. Of course, I need to watch uh, Die Hard too because of the fact that it does take place once again on on Christmas and. Yeah. So you can actually put them those two films down as a Christmas movie. You can even put down the very first Lethal Weapon as a Christmas movie, though, too, as well. And because of the fact that, number one, you do have a Christmas song being played at the very beginning of the song. You have Jingle Bell Rock. You also have the Christmas tree uh, farm that takes place over there. And also, too, you also have uh, Christmas decorations, Christmas trees. And it's very... um, it's very Christmas themed throughout the movie. Yep. Yep. One of the other movies I suggested to you was a long kiss. Good night. Uh, literally starts off with a Christmas parade. Uh, in the town that Gina Davis's character is in. And uh, if you haven't seen long kiss, good night. Uh, first of all, Samuel L. Jackson's in it as a private detective. You know, it's uh, going to be good. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. You know, this is Gina Davis probably right after League of Their, League of Their Own. You know, this is when Gina Davis is kind of on the top of the, the top of the ride there. So she was, I mean, imagine a world where a school teacher realizes that she woke up, you know, a couple of years ago and she was a school teacher. And then she finds out that she was an assassin prior to that. And like she worked for the KGB and all this other crazy stuff. And all these crazy missions are going on and all this stuff. And she's just now starting to realize what actually happened to her back in the day and how she lost her memory and all this other stuff. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. It definitely is. I, I, I like I said, hands down, long kiss. Good night. It's a great film. I want to go ahead and review that with you soon. Uh, probably we'll try and do another Christmas movie next year or something. I've already got plans for other Christmas movies for next year. That I haven't even touched. We need to. We need to. We need to watch. We need to do Fat Man. Oh, I did that one. To, you did Fat Man. I need to go watch that one because Fat I Man would surprise me. Fat Man was fantastic. Fat Man, I love. I owned it. I bought it on Blu-ray because I was just like, I must watch this movie, and I, I watched it, and I sat there and I almost cried because I'm like, first of all, it's like, wow, Mel Gibson doesn't seem racist at all in this movie. <laughs> 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 and I do want to see Violent Night. Violent Night I is actually one of those. Too. 
because it's more it's more along the lines of the act like a lot of people thought it was like a horror movie and it's not it's very much an action movie but it's it's the spirit of it is a little girl gets a phone line to Santa Claus and then her family gets kidnapped and like she calls on the phone line for Santa Claus to come save her and like <laughs> how much better can it be than that Ow. exactly but yeah hands down is David Harper's in it. I'm I'm excited for that one. I want to see that one. My co-host Alex saw that movie. He loved it. Charlie saw it. I'm the only one who hasn't seen it yet. So I think that's everything that I wanted to cover as far as Die Hard goes. What? Any other final thoughts on it? No. Uh, Die Hard. Great Christmas movie. Whether you think so or not, you you're allowed to have your opinions, but please understand it's okay if we feel like you're wrong. Exactly. <laughs> because we're right, you're wrong. It's a Christmas movie. Now, <laughs> so well, where can everybody come out, come out and send the comments if you want to? If you're if you're in the land of the comments, it, you know, or come at us in the land of the reviews, and just be like, is it a Christmas movie or not? Why? Why not? There you go. Exactly. So that's going to be it as far as the show goes. But will where can everybody listen to your podcast at? What are you doing on your podcast? Is another so, thing. We're about to drop an episode. We talked about my thoughts of Avatar, the uh, the, way, the 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 waste of water, waste of time. I'm not for sure what else to call it. Uh, I wasn't the big way of water is what it actually is. I, I wish I could have been a better fan of it, but I wasn't. It didn't. It was a very beautiful, long, congealed movie that felt like a rehash of the first movie, but that's just me. Uh, but <laughs> but then we talked about. <laughs> Some other stuff, but that'll be that. But then also, I've got some other really awesome Kickstarter interviews that I'm going to be airing uh, for people who either have done a Kickstarter or are fed- just finished a Kickstarter. And so I'll be doing those. And then we're going to be doing our end of the year special. Um, so anybody listening, and John, you're invited to do this as well. If you got a favorite clip from any of the shows in the past 2022, let me know so I can add that clip out and we'll add it into the year, the end of the year show. I'll definitely do that. And I just want to let everybody else know, too, that I'm probably not going to have that much shows going on until probably January. Uh, so okay. I can actually refigurate about what I want to do. I know I want to do a best and worst films of 2022. Oh, I got to get on that one. And, yeah, I have a lot. And then <laughs> I want to do my ranking, my rankings for Marvel's Phase 5. So that's something phase, else. I want. Phase 6. Phase 5 or Phase Wait, phase we're six. Phase six already? Because we're phase. I thought phase four was the most recent phase that ended. Yeah, phase four. What am I talking so, about? So ranking phase. Yeah, we're going into phase five. <laughs> right. So I want to do a ranking for that. There's a lot of stuff here that I want to try and do. It's just that finding the time to do it is another yeah. thing. But yeah, we have a plenty of other stuff that we're going to be doing. Well, of course, we're doing our trailer reaction still. So matter of fact, Will actually got a chance to react to Cocaine Bear. So that brought you the review of cocaine bear. We're back and we're talking about Die Hard. <laughs> but yes, that'll be that'll be funny for us to actually review together, I think. Oh, when that movie comes out, I so want to see it. <laughs> so gonna go see that movie. My nephew <laughs> saw the trailer to that. My nephew saw the trailer, and his first thought was, wait, what just happened? I was like, uh, I mean, the premise is like snakes on a plane. It tells you everything you need to know in the name. The bear inhales cocaine. Stuff goes crazy. And that's it. <laughs> that's all you need to know. 
But anyways, guys, that's going to do it for me for Movie Lovers Unite. Everyone have a great and safe Christmas and a great and happy, safe, new, happy new year. Same to you, Will. Have a great and safe, happy new year and Christmas. I do appreciate you, as always, coming on the show, talking about movies, talking about Marvel shows. It's always fun. It's always a blast to have you on. Yes. And, and for those of you who are dealing with snow around you, stay warm, uh, love each other. Get out there and, and call, call those you love. Call those you love, man. If you ain't seen some people in a while, call them, check on them. Make sure they're good. Okay? Spread some love and positivity around. Some some of the, the best present you can give people is your presence. Amen. Amen, brother. Amen. So that's going to be it for tonight. And see you on the next one.